Amen. Good to see all of you here this morning. We appreciate you coming, those of you online, for joining with us this morning. I didn't realize until I was just sitting here, as Derek was praying, is that there's a continuity between what we just did with the Lord's Supper and Communion and what the message is. I didn't even, it didn't even dawn on me until now, but I'm going to ask you a question. And because you're in the house of God, you know you can't lie, right? How many of you have ever had regrets? Raise your hand. One, two, three, four. Okay, put your hands down. That was two. How about how many of you have never had regret in your entire life? A couple of people, I'm not sure if they're scratching their chin, they wanted to raise their hand, but all of us have had regrets at different times. And it's something I want to talk about this morning is about regrets and new beginnings. In short, a regret is, it means to be sorrowful for something that we said that we did. Think about in your mind, what's something I regret? Well, it may have been something you said or what you did. I don't know about you, but there are many things that I sure wish I hadn't said and done. For example, although I know you thought I was an angelic child because I'm so like that now, and I was, I don't know if I, I was awful at home. I was the youngest of three brothers, so I was the brat. I will never ever say that again, and I will clip this out of the tape. But I sassed my mother. My father worked all day, and when I was home, and we had a house that was uh, just a square house, and you actually could do a lap in it, because there was four rooms, but there was a door, so you could go. So when I sassed my mom, she would chase after me with a yardstick. I will never forget it. And so finally, I just said, this is futile. I'm tired of running laps. And so I sassed my mom, and... She would take that yardstick and use it for purposes that were not intended for it. And so I regret asking my mom, because that sure didn't work out very well for me. But the definition of, of regret goes beyond being sorrowful for what we did or what we said. We can regret not saying something we wish we had have said. And we can also regret not having done something we wish we would have done. Well, I hope it's okay, but I'm going to take the liberty this morning to expand the definition of regret to include buying dumb stuff. I have many regrets from buying things off of the internet, those infomercials and social media. I remember probably one of the worst of them is I bought some contraption. I've had, I had back surgery way back in the 90s, and I've always had back issues, and I bought this contraption. You're supposed to kind of bend your back and lay over, and it just kind of oscillates up and down. It was horrible. It was so painful, I had to get rid of it. It didn't help. It hurt. But then there's this little device about this big. Oh, my. I mean, you hang it part of it inside your car window, then you roll the car window up, so there's just a teeny little gap. And it's got a fan on the outside and a little solar panel on it. And their promise is that you can park your car in the hot sun all day long, and when you come in, your car is going to be cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it melted. <laughs> But then there's the supplements. I, I, I like supplements because uh, they can do amazing things for you. And one of the supplements I took said it would give you 10% body fat. I've been on it 16 years now. I'm still working on that one. And there's one, if you take the supplement, your memory is going to be, like, amazing. You'll remember long-term, short-term stuff, stuff that you forgot, stuff you wish you would have forgot. And uh, I would tell you what it is, but I can't remember what the name of it is. And then, oh, 
One of my personal favorites. When you know how you're on vacation, sometimes you do some really dumb things, make some bad purchases. Look at all the souvenirs you bought that either threw away or garage sale for 25 cents, and then even then had to negotiate your price. My wife and I were down in Charleston, having a wonderful time, walking by the streets, and all of a sudden there was somebody, come on in, we're having this, we're having this big presentation about vacation ownership. I said, well, we like vacations, so let's go in and see what's about. So, of course, they gave us some long spiel. And boy, they're always long-winded. And at first I came in and forget this, but then it sounded good. But I thought, okay, we're just going to listen and get out of here. But then they pulled the trigger. They said, whoever gets out of their seats first and comes to this front table will get $1,000 off this package. I looked at Kim, and I made a beeline for the front. I love saving money. Yeah, I saved $1,000. Never saw one beachfront place in my life. <laughs> I regret some of the dumb things I bought, some of the ways I get conned in. Is anybody else in here gullible a little bit at least? I don't know. The, now, back years ago, they used to do infomercials, but now you got cable channels. That's all they do is infomercials, and they make you feel like dirt if you don't buy their product. So I have a lot of regrets in there, um, but I want to talk to you today. I mean, first of all, obviously I have a lot of experience. I'm a subject matter expert on regrets. But rather than hear from me, what I think I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to share with you about dealing with regrets from a biblical perspective. I think about Paul comes to mind when I think about somebody who lived with regrets. Because you think about Paul's life, Paul, before he was saved, persecuted Christians. That's what he did. He was there by the, at the time holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen. Remember that? And he, uh, he murdered Christians. He jailed Christians. And it wasn't until he was on his way to Damascus to persecute the Christians there that Jesus intercepted him, and Paul fell to his face, repented of his sins, and said, Lord, what would you have me to do? And Jesus said, you will suffer many things for my name. But Paul was given a new beginning. Oh, he had a horrible past, many things to regret, but now a fresh start. And if you would turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, a very familiar passage, but with a different twist this morning, and stand with me briefly as we share together the Word of God to us. Philippians chapter 3, 13 and 14. Verse 13 reads, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God, in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would take these words, and God, through your spirit, give us the truth of them, the application of them, and God, help us to share them that would bring you glory in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. So this morning, we're going to look at four questions. We're going to answer them. Number one, what causes regrets? Number two, why do we struggle with regrets? Third, how can we have victory over regrets? And then fourth, how can we avoid regrets in the future? So first of all, what causes regrets? I think first of all, poor choices. Life is made up of a series of choices. It's like many forks in the road. As we come up to the fork in the road, we've got to decide which way do we go. And with which decision we make for where we're going to go, there'll be consequences. They can be good if we made right choices, or they can be challenging consequences if we made wrong choices. But the composite of our life is built on the series of decisions that we made over the course of our lifetime. Regrets are often the result of poor choices that we've made. 
And sometimes those poor choices are because we listen to our selfish, fleshly desires. Things that I feel like I've got to have, and I've got to have them now. These things I can't go without. Sometimes it's peer pressure. And by the way, for those of you who are in school, college age and younger, I understand peer pressure. But I'll tell you something, you never grow out of it. There's people I hang around with that sometimes I just feel this pressure to do or to mold into something that they want or to take their advice, even though I may not agree with it. So sometimes peer pressure causes us to make poor decisions. I would think most, if not all the time, though, when we're making poor decisions is because we never consider the consequences. We never think about how it's going to hurt somebody or how it's going to negatively affect us as well. You see, each poor decision we make comes with a corresponding consequence that is not pleasurable. And unfortunately, many of those consequences are long-lasting. And many times those consequences hurt others in addition to ourselves, even people that we love. And unfortunately, as much as we would love to go back and undo them, we can't oftentimes. In fact, very uncommon that we can do that. You see, I believe that regrets are a problem in America because one of the things I read this past week is there was a LifeWay survey that recorded that 47% of Americans said they were dealing with the results of bad decisions. Another study showed that regret is the second most common emotion people mention in daily life. And until I read that, I never thought about it. But yeah, in a lot of conversations I have with people, we talk about the things that we regret in life. And the older you get, the more you regrets it seems like you have. But why do we have regrets? Poor choice is one. Secondly, past sins. Sometimes our regrets are because we sinned. We did or said something that flat out denies God's holiness. But I want to share with you this morning, there's two types of sins, and they're very different. First of all, there's the sins of commission. These are the sins that we commit, something that we said, something that we did, something that maybe even thought, because in our minds we can sin. Oftentimes, temptation causes us to act on these things, resulting in a sin of commission. I think we've all got that. But a sin of omission is different. It really, by definition, is sins that we commit uh, by failing to obey God's word or the leading of his spirit. You can actually find this in the Bible. In James chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Well, last night I had the joy of going to the Charlotte Football Club soccer uh, match, and it was a great match. And as we're walking back here, uh, there's a lot of intersections. They were barricaded. The police were out there. And a sin of omission would be that if God said that I should help this old lady walk across the street, and I don't do it, according to what the Word of God says, that's sin because I didn't do what I should have done, and I knew better. But there's actually a classic example in Scripture there's a Jewish man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And on the way there, a robber took everything he had and beat him and left him basically for dead. And you know the story. There was a Levite and a priest who, seeing him over here, walked the other way like it would be in their conscience. They would think, well, we didn't really see him. They knew they should minister to him, but they did absolutely nothing. That is a sin of omission. We generally... Speaking, I would say we probably don't confess the sins of omission because we really don't think about them. Mark Batterson wrote this I want to share with you. He said, at the end of your life, your greatest regret won't be the things that you did but wish you had, hadn't. Your greatest regret will be the things you didn't do but wish you had. 
It's the what-if dreams that we never act upon that turn into, if only, regrets. Well, let's look next. Why do we struggle with regrets? Well, first of all, I think because we oftentimes relive past failures. We regret the things that we've said or done or the things that we wish we could forget about, but we can't. The memories of our past sins and the temporary stupidity, they haunt us. And the guilt and the shame that we live with holds us hostage. We look back at those things that we regret and we think, I woulda, coulda, shoulda said or done something differently in that situation. Have you ever done that? One of the psychologists I read this week called it the kaleidoscope of regret. We need to stop wasting our time, however, with the woulda, coulda, shoulda been and start living for what is and what will be because of the grace and mercy of God. That's what Paul meant when he stated the prerequisite for moving forward is we must let go of the past. But you know what makes it hard to let go of the past? is other people. Other people who feel like it's their, oh, I don't know, their obligation to remind us of our past sins, the things that we've said or done wrong, bringing up the poor decision that we've made. That makes it awfully hard for us to let go when somebody keeps reminding us of those things. I was able to read a letter that was sent to a church pastor in in, uh, the Georgia area that somebody wrote that kind of really depicts this so well. Listen to this letter from a church member to his pastor. Pastor, I am so thankful for the blood that washed me from head to foot and then washed my stinking feet when needed. I can't seem to totally past my past because it seems that people just refuse to let me. It breaks my heart that within the body of Christ there are those who seem to consider Jesus' blood is totally sufficient for their sins but not quite sufficient for the sins of others. Don't you hate it when somebody reminds you of what you've done wrong, what you said wrong, your poor decisions? But if that's not bad enough, Satan comes right behind him. Satan, who's referred to as the accuser of the brethren for a reason, he reminds us of everything that we've done or said wrong over and over and over. And can you identify with what I'm saying? By the way, Satan, I believe biblically, is the only person you can hate and not sin. And I hate him. He wants us to focus all of our time and energy and efforts on focusing on past regrets so that we don't do anything for the kingdom because we're always looking behind us and not moving forward. I believe, personally, I believe that regret is one of Satan's greatest tools to defeat Christians from living the abundant, spirit-filled life that God has called for each one of us to live. Regrets, oh, they're powerful. And they're often very, very painful. Satan just loves that aspect of it. Regrets are like heavy weights that we carry around. You know, I I don't know if any of you here runners. I was a swimmer, so if I had a heavy weight, I'd sink. But any runners in here? You know, if you ran, you would run run with light clothing on, and you certainly wouldn't carry extra weights in your pockets or hold on to them because it would slow you down. Regrets are like that. They're the sin that keeps us anchored to the past. It interferes with our joy in the present, and it prevents us or inhibits us from finishing well. I don't know about you, but I really, really want to finish well. I want to finish well as a husband, as a father, Now as a grandfather, I want to finish well as a Christian. I want to finish well as a pastor. And let me share something with you. Nine out of ten pastors who begin in ministry do not finish in ministry. 
they quit. I don't want to be one of the nine. I want to be one, the other one. Look at all the spaces in our pews this morning. You know what? If everybody who's ever come here, who's still alive and well, was here this morning, we couldn't fit everybody. But many people left. Many people quit because they're living in the past with their regrets, their failures, and found perfectly what Satan has. But God says in Romans 12, 1, that we're to play aside every weight, especially in including regrets, so that we can run the race that God has called us to run and do it speedily and efficiently and effectively. So let me tell you, those of you listening online, folks who are here, I imagine some of you are going to struggle with what I'm going to say right now. Some of you are listening to Satan say such things as, you're not worth it. God can never forgive you for what you've done. You've gone too far, and you're believing him. And he's winning. The devil's goal is to distract you, defeat you. And I'll tell you this, folks, do not listen to him because he is the liar. He's the king of all liars. What you need to do is simply tell Satan that God has forgiven you of every sin you've ever committed, and there's nothing he can do about it because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all your sin. Amen? And because of Jesus, he's won the victory over you, Satan, so go back where you came from and leave me alone. Satan is infiltrating the church from the inside, causing havoc. And this is just one of the tools he uses. So we've looked at the causes of regret. We looked at why we struggle with. Now we need to talk about how do we achieve victory because I'm, pers- I'm frustrated up here. I want to know how to get past my regrets, don't you? Because I'm tired of them and I don't want to be held bound to them. The first thing we do to get over our past regrets is confess them. Confess the sin. Confess what we said, what we did that we should not have. To confess I have to kind of go back a little bit here. To confess, what does it mean? It means to agree with God. God already knows when you confess what you've done, but he wants to hear you say it. So when I said, God, would you please forgive me for such and such? He said, my child, I knew about that, but I wanted to hear you say it. We're in agreement. You sinned against me. That's when God will forgive for his forgiveness. And sometimes the reason we don't feel forgiven and accept it is because we don't really confess our sins because we don't even want to articulate them ourselves. If I say, God, man, would you please forgive me because I messed up. I failed. What's God going to do with that? He said, what are we agreeing on here? See, we have to name our sin, allow God to agree with us, and then he will forgive us and we can move past it. So that's part of a confession. Now, I'll tell you somebody who knew what they were talking about in the Bible, King David. David experienced exactly what I'm talking about. David was a murderer, an adulterer, and he kept a secret that he thought nobody knew about, but God knew about it. And until he was confronted by the prophet Nathan, he kept it silent. And listen to what he said in Psalm 32.5. God, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me the iniquity of my sin. He used all three different words for sin to make sure he covered all of his bases. So when we confess, we need to go all in. Secondly, we need to accept God's forgiveness and his restoration. Again, going back to King David in the same passage in a different place, he had personally experienced this, so he sinned horribly. Adultery and murder, horrible. But in Psalm 32, 1 and 2, listen to this. He said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And the word in the Hebrew there for happy 
I mean, blessed means, oh, how very happy. So David, when he confessed his sins, he wrote about it and said, oh, how happy I am because God forgave me, not part of it, but all of it, 100%. Either the blood of Jesus is or is not efficacious to forgive us for all of our sins. You can't have a sin and say, well, God forgave this one, but not this one. Well, what part of the blood did that? It's all or nothing. And see, Jesus, his blood forgives us for all of our sins, past, present, and future, when we confess them, when we agree with God, and he wipes our slate clean. Isn't that wonderful? God gives us a fresh start over and over and over again because he's so gracious and merciful. But we must confess our sins and then accept and receive God's forgiveness. David did that, and he moved on past it. Yeah, he still had these regrets, and there was definitely still consequences. But also he said here, for the Lord counts no iniquity. That means that God clears our sin from our record. And the principle is found in Psalm 103, verse 8 through 12. Listen, this is so precious. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not steal, or he does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us for our iniquities. Aren't you glad for that? Could you imagine if we had to pay for all of our sins? We couldn't. That's why Jesus came. And he goes on to say something that is great. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far as he remembers transgressions, our sins from us. And listen, he remembers them no more. If he won't remember them, you have no right to remember them yourself. Which leads to my next point. You've confessed your sins, and God forgives your sins, but now we need to forgive ourselves. I'll tell you something. I have run into increasingly more and more Christians in my office and in conversations who say, I confessed my sin, but I just can't forgive myself. I give them the same verse. I want you to turn here, if you would. It's a simple verse. It's Romans 8.1. I want you to know this because I think God's going to give you somebody, if not yourself, or in addition to yourself, to share this with. In Romans 8.1, therefore... There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So when we confess our sins that we've already confessed, we're reminding God of something he's forgotten. He said, I'm done with this. I've removed it as far as the east is from the west. You need to let it go. You need to receive my forgiveness and forgive yourself. The reason we don't sometimes is because we feel forgiven. We don't feel forgiven. Because our confession wasn't heartfelt, it was superficial, his generalizations about, Lord, I messed up, or Lord, I didn't do good. He's like, that just doesn't fly here. You need to humble yourself with a contrite and broken spirit and come before me. So take responsibility for our sin. And here's the other thing. I'll say this now. It's so important. Some of the regrets, regrets I have because I treated somebody in a way that I shouldn't have. I'm, I need to go back and make restitution. James says in the New Testament that we need to confess our sins one to another. There might be somebody that you know the reason you're holding a regret still is because you've never gone to them and said, would you please forgive me because what I said or did to you, I need to ask you to forgive me. I'm so sorry. Number four, leave it in the past. Our regrets are all in the past, 100% of our regrets in the past. And recall what Paul said in Philippians 3.13, he said, forgetting what lies behind so I can strain forward to what lies ahead. Paul knew that he had to leave his regrets behind him in the past or else he wouldn't be able to move forward to fulfill God's purpose in his life. 
And Mark Batterson wrote this. I think this is so good. For those of you especially who are having a hard time letting go of something, some sin, something that's really just, you just can't seem to break the chain, here it is. If you want to leave the past in the past, it helps if you bury it, burn it, flush it, or delete it. Isn't that what Christ has done with your sin? He crucified our sin and nailed it to the cross. Therefore, don't resurrect it. Amen? Some of you are struggling here. Some of you people online, you're struggling here. Let it go. Finally, lastly, how can we avoid future regrets? I'm going to listen to what i got to say because, you know, I really want to know because I'm sick and tired of having regrets for making dumb decisions or choices. First, before making the decision, check for open and closed doors. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God wants you to go through the right path. It doesn't mean it'll be perfectly easy. There may be challenges in it, but he does have a doorway for us to go through. He does have an ordained pathway for us. Look for the open doors. I've heard so many Christians say this, that, well, if God closes all the doors, jump out a window. It's like, no, I don't think they say jump out, but I added that. Sometimes maybe reason God closed the doors is because, ready for this one? He wants you to wait. You know wait is a four-letter word? <laughs> I hate the word wait. When they were giving out patience, I must have missed that day. I have the gift of impatience. Anybody join me in that? I don't like waiting, but in order to avoid future regrets, sometimes I need to wait until God gives me clear direction. Secondly, before making the decision, as we wait on him, <clears throat> um, we need to make sure we're not running ahead. Or we don't make sure that we're not lagging behind because later those will turn into regrets. But so many times we rationalize. Well, I made the decision because, and what you did is you pried a door open, you, 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 you cut the deadbolt off, and you said, well, God opened the door. No, you busted it down, and it doesn't really end well 99.999% of the time. We have to wait. So as we make choices, we might make sure that there's open doors. We wait on the Lord if not. And then lastly, before making a decision, seek counsel from wise people who know God's word and will be honest with you and be truthful and tell you sometimes that speaking the truth in love is hard. Sometimes I think we just get in our own little set and we get so worked up that here's what I'm going to do. I've decided I'm going to do this. God, would you just bless what I'm going to do? I've already made my decision, but God, I want you to make sure you're part of it. You never even waited for him to speak to you. So we make poor decisions. What helps us sometimes is the pause to wait and ask some other people, godly people, say, what do you think? Here's my dilemma. And let them speak truth into you and actually listen to them. Well, I'm going to close with this. I read an amazing story about a lady who worked in a hospice center, working with people who were dying. And she asked them in their lifetime, what were their greatest regrets? Now, we were going to have them up on the screen, but I see they're down, so I'll read them to you. And see if any of these resonate with you. The top nine. Number one, I wish I had been more loving to the people who matter most. Number two, I wish I had been a better spouse, parent, or child. Third, I wish I had not spent so much time working. Number four, I wish I had taken more risks. Number five, I wish I had been happier and enjoyed life more. I'm just going to pause it for just a quick second. I did a funeral for a 56-year-old man yesterday. I think that's too young. And everybody in the audience would have agreed with me. And I shared with them Ephesians where it says, we should redeem the time for the days are evil. I just want to remind you as we leave here this morning in a few moments, live every day if this is your last. Because when it comes time when you're on your deathbed and somebody's asking what's your greatest regret, 
I don't want to say I, I wish I'd been happier and enjoyed in life. I want to enjoy life now. See, God's given us the abundant life. He's given us a life of joy and fulfillment that's greater than anything this world can give. But sometimes we're too we're just busy getting through it that we don't experience it. Number six, I wish I had lived my own dream rather than the dreams of others. Number seven, I wish I'd taken better care of myself. Number eight, by the way, when I was younger, I thought I was invincible. Anybody like that? I did some really dumb stuff. I've got, I've had more broken body. I know I don't want to go in there. <laughs> but I did not take care of myself. Now I'm paying for it. But when I tell my kids that, like, you know, don't do this, it's like, everybody thinks they're invincible when you're young. Where are you young people in here? You're not. <laughs> You'll pay later. That was a prophecy. Hold on to that. Amen. No, not amen. It's oh my. <laughs> Number eight, I wish I had done more for others. I don't think that's any, something any of us would ever regret. Number nine, I wish I'd chosen work that was meaningful for me. I can talk about that a lot, but I'll tell you, I won't. You may have other things to add to that list this morning. My purpose in sharing this message is not to shame you or to make you feel guilty, but for you to, this morning to have the opportunity to gain the victory over these regrets. Because our time invitation comes, no matter how many regrets you have, no matter how incredibly painful they are, God is the God of second chances. He wants to give you a new beginning today. He is here for you. He's not against you. He has a great plan for your life, and that begins right here, right now, this morning. A new beginning awaits you, a fresh, clean start, where only you and the Lord can determine where it's going to go as you depend and submit to him. So receive God's forgiveness. Forgive yourself. Let go of the past in light of the victory that Jesus has already paid for on the cross and sealed with his resurrection.